Tonight we are carrying on with our 1010 series, and, um, and if you're wondering, well, what is 1010? Well, actually, as part of our vision for 2020, we feel God saying, well, actually, we need to go back to 1010. And John 10.10 is this amazing scripture. It's often quoted in, um, in church. It's often quoted in Christian circles. But actually, and, and, and the challenge is often what can happen with scripture that is frequently quoted is in our hearts and in our minds, we start to almost dismiss its power. Um, Wayne spoke about John 3.16. It's a, a famous scripture that is on thousands and thousands of bumper stickers um, and on a whole bunch of things. And actually, we start to forget how incredibly powerful these texts are. And so tonight, what I want to do is I want to read John 10.10, but I'm going to read it from three translations. And then I want to speak a little bit about what I believe God is calling us to, because we as a leadership believe we're called to a John 10.10 type lifestyle. Not as, a, as life changes only, but as believers in Christ. And I love in, in John 10, 10 in the NIV, it says, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. This is talking about Jesus. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. The New Living Translation says, The, the thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. And in the ESV, it says this, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I don't know about you, but when I read that text, I can often disqualify it because life doesn't always seem that way. I can often, well, okay, rich and satisfying, yeah, but it, it really doesn't feel like that every day. And so what we do is we, we disqualify these incredible texts. And, and actually, I love the, the word full means to lack nothing, to have no empty space. And I don't know about you, but I, often in my life, I feel like there's empty space. I feel like I lack. I, I quickly defer to what I don't have rather than what I do have. I quickly defer to the lack in my life rather than seeing the abundance in my life. But actually, if we believe the Word of God that says that Jesus desires us to have a full life, well, that means that Jesus desires us to have a life that lacks nothing. It's quite a challenge and at the same time, an incredible promise. You see, rich and satisfying means to have a great deal of or to receive fulfillment from. You see, I think so often when we, we live our lives, we go, Yo, just as long as gives me, God gives me just what I need, then I'll be okay. But the Bible teaches us that God desires us to have more than. God desires us to live lives of more than. And you see, the challenge is, I think there are a couple of keys to live in this, but actually, I think we disbelieve this. We go that actually, this is my lot no matter where I am, and, and actually, I've just got to become okay with it. And I believe that God wants to call us to having a life that is filled with and satisfied to the full. And then lastly, and this is my favorite, abundant means to have plenty of or to have too much of. How often as, as a believer have you come to God as a son and daughter of God and come to your heavenly Father and said, God, I want more of. Jesus, I don't just want a good job. I want a phenomenal job. Jesus, I don't just want a great opportunity. I want a phenomenal opportunity. Jesus, I don't just want a great family. I want an unbelievable family. How often do we do that? I think more often than not, we simply come to God and, and go, please, will you just get me through? And, we, and the challenge is, the problem therein is, one, we have a bad view of God, and two, 
We have a bad understanding of the Scriptures. And so I believe that actually when it's, when it's talking about this, it's talking about a key belief in our hearts as believers that we have to grasp. We went to a birthday recently, and I remember um, uh, quite a few people in the church were fasting, and I know it's very exciting that we're breaking the fast today, but, but quite a few people in the church were fasting, and an amazing lady in our community, Sue, turned 60. We had the privilege of being invited to her birthday. And I remember walking around the corner, and there was a, a, a chef who she had contracted to prepare for her 60th, and, and I just saw chicken, like the chicken like you've never seen in your life before. The chicken, there was chicken everywhere, it was, and it was beautiful, and it was sweet and chilly, and it was this chicken and that chicken. I didn't even know you could make so many sauces with chicken. And I was like, this is unbelievable. And then, and then about, because I'm learning that it takes longer to cook steak than it does chicken. So, so a couple of minutes later, I go outside again. Now there's, like, there's more weebers than there were before. And now there are these long fillets, like huge. And everyone's going, who hasn't broken their fast, is going, I'm really not enjoying this part of the sermon. But actually, there were these huge fillet steaks. And then all of a sudden, he brings out these beautiful, what I think was angelfish, and starts brying them. And you're going like, this is ridiculous. There are like 40 people here. Who is going to eat all of this? And I just remember leaving that party, and, and we celebrated, and then there were vegetables, and there were tomato relishes like you've never tasted in your life. And I just remember looking at the spread and going, wow, this is excessive. This is too much. Who's going to eat all of this? Me. But, um, but, but actually, I, I realized in that moment, and I just felt God drop in my heart, that actually so often we treat what God wants to give us like that. That's too much. It's excessive. Then we hear testimonies of young men in our community who just got a scholarship to Stellenbosch, full fees, full clothing, full accommodation, books, everything paid for. And go, that's impossible. And so what we do in that moment is we partner with a spirit of disbelief rather than with a spirit of belief, with a spirit of faith. See, there's something incredible when we choose, and, and this is a little bit off the track, but when we choose to partner in faith with people that are seeing the abundance of God, we invite that into our own lives. You see, when we become positive about our country, we are trusting God for His abundance in our country. When we are negative about our country, we are partnering with something that is different. You see, the subtleties are that we serve a God who is bigger than circumstances, situations, worldly provisions, governments, everything. But we've got to believe that He desires to pour out His abundance. We've got to believe it. You see, we are called to live lives fully satisfied in Him. Fully satisfied. But we've got to come to Him with an attitude of, of God, you can fully satisfy me. And so tonight I, I, I want to read a story, and I think it's an amazing story. It's from Genesis 25, and we can read it together. It'll be on the screen behind me. But it's about two men. You may have heard it before. You may not have, but it's an Old Testament story. It happens in the beginning of the Bible, and it's about Jacob and Esau. And we, let's read together Genesis 25. If you have a Bible, it's from verse 19 to 34. It says this, These are the generations of Isaac, Abraham's son. Abraham fathered Isaac, and Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah, the daughter of Bethel and Araman, of Padan Aram, very cool names for places, um, the sister of Laban the Aramean to be his wife. I'm not 100% sure why they have to tell us all of that, but you could put that on your email signature, where you were born, all that stuff. Um, 
And Isaac prayed to the Lord for his wife because she was barren, which means she was unable to have a child. And the Lord granted his prayer, and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. The children struggled together within her, and she said, If it is thus, why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord, and the Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb, and two peoples from within you shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other. The older shall serve the younger. When her days to give birth were completed, behold, there were twins in her womb. The first came out red, all his body like a hairy cloak. Very intriguing information for the Bible to give us. So we know he was a redhead, okay? So they called him Esau, which literally means red. Can you imagine you are born with red hair and your parents call you red? It's just an interesting thing to do. Um, Afterward, his brother came out with his hand holding Esau's heel, so his name was called Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when she bore them. When the boys grew up, Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the field, while Jacob was a quiet man dwelling in tents. Isaac loved Esau because he ate his game, but Rebekah loved Jacob. Favoritism is a problem. We learn this in the Bible. Esau sells his birthright. Once when Jacob was cooking stew, Esau came in from the field and he was exhausted. And Esau said to Jacob, let me eat some of that red stew for I am exhausted. Jacob said, sell me your birthright. Now, if you just process this for a moment, give me some food, sell me your birthright, give me all your money. That's literally what he's saying. Give me some soup, give me all your money. That's literally what is happening in this moment. You can try this, give it a go, you never know what might happen. Esau said, I am about to die. Of what use is a birthright to me? Now, how often, gentlemen, do we say, I'm going to die. I need to eat. I'm going to die. Okay? This comes from this. Josh, every day. Um, Jacob said, swear to me now. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. When Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil stew, then Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil stew, and he ate and drank and rose and went his way. Then Esau despised his birthright. So what has happened here? It's an incredible story. Esau has chosen in a moment to give up the future that God had ordained for him for a bowl of lentil stew. Now, I don't know about you, but after three weeks of only eating vegetables, I don't know who in their right mind would give up anything for lentil stew. You know, if it was like a delicious chicken stew we could get there, or like a lamb, I could maybe get there. But actually, the reality is, in a moment, he chose to give up his birthright for something frivolous, for something immediate, for something that he wanted right there and right then. And what is incredibly interesting is these two men were part of the the lineage of the Israelite people. So if you speak to an Israelite man, they will pray in the name of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It was supposed to be Abraham, Isaac, and Esau. But he gave up that right for a bowl of stew. And now we hear the story and we go, that is ridiculous. Who would ever give up anything for lentil stew? Unless, of course, you're vegan, in which case that might happen. But actually, we read the story and we go, who in their right mind would ever do this? But actually, this story is a picture of how we respond to God over and over again. It is a picture of what Adam and Eve did in the garden. You see, the amazing thing is, is Jacob, that, that definition heal, 
is actually translated as a colloquial term, which means to grasp someone by the heel. And in this day, what that meant is that you were a deceiver, you were a cheat. So Jacob is the deceiver, Esau is the son of God, and the son of God chooses to give up his birthright because the deceiver lies to him. All of a sudden, we have a picture of humanity choosing to give up relationship with God for a quick fix, for a quick momentary fix. And you see, we do this all the time. We go, okay, God, you promised me an abundant life. You promised me a life. You promised me life to the full, but actually, I really just need this lentil stew. And so tonight, what I want to speak about is a very simple thing, but I want to call us as a church to not settle. Don't settle. Don't settle for what is put in front of you. My first point for this evening, it's an incredibly simple one. Don't settle for soup. Don't settle for soup. Now, some people in the room are going, I'd never, I'll never eat soup in my life. But actually, the reality is, well, what is soup? Soup is momentary satisfaction. It's the now rather than the then that God has ordained. You see, the Bible says that God ordained the steps of our lives before we were born. Which means that in every single person in this room, not just the pastor, not just the preacher, not just the, the leader, not just, no, in every single one of us, God has ordained a purpose and a plan. He destined your life before you were born. Which means that we, the same as Esau, have a birthright. We have a right to something that God has planned for us. But because we are very bad at seeing God and His abundance, we so quickly are satisfied by the momentary pleasures. The momentary pleasures. The little things that we think will make our lives perfect, and then we get them and they don't. And we over and over again take the soup instead of the plans and purposes of God. We grab the soup instead of what God has ordained for us. And actually, I believe that Jesus is calling us out of that mentality. See, the Bible uses this amazing word. It says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You see, we live in this polar world where we go, as long as I have my soup, I'll serve God. And what God is asking us to do is let go of the soup so that He can give us better. So I'll come to church, I'll do all of those things, but I just want my soup. I just want the moment, you know, the small pleasure that satisfies me. And that is different for every single one of us. You see, I believe that we've got to allow God to transform our mind. You see, Jesus was tempted in exactly the same way. We read the Scriptures and we think, well, Jesus was perfect. Yes, He was perfect, but He was also tempted in every way we have been tempted. He was tested in every way we will be tested, and He was found perfect. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, so that wasn't Daniel, that was no food, no water, 40 days, 40 nights, it's amazing, he was hungry. It's helpful to know. The tempter came to him and said, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God. See, what's so beautiful about this moment is that Jesus is hungry. He desires bread. The devil comes, the deceiver comes and tempts him, and Jesus' response is not his own. Jesus' response is the Word of God. He responds with the Scriptures. He says to the devil, which is a direct quote from Isaiah, man shall not live on bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. You see, we've got to stop trying to do it on our own, 
And we've got to start saying, I believe what Jesus says. You see, when the soup is presented to us, what is our natural leaning? Is it to go, no, I can do this, I can get through? Or go, no, the Bible says that God came to give me life and life abundantly. The Bible says that He came to give me life to the full. And I promise you, all of a sudden, you'll start walking into the future that God has for you. Why? Because in the same way that Jesus was tempted, we respond in faith and we open up a radical future for ourselves. I think that's a couple of helpful things. Are you aware of what your momentary pleasures are? Are you aware of them? Do you know what the things are that will quickly pull your attention? They don't have to be massive things. They can be little things. We live in a world that is inundated by social media. Inundated. I fasted social media for three weeks. I don't particularly go into social media very often, but I chose to fast it for the three weeks that we were, um, we were fasting as a church, as well as the Daniel fast. And I just remember for the first three days, I had this consistent compulsion to open my phone and, and scroll. And I just realized that something that shouldn't have my heart had my heart. See, I was consistently leaning towards soup rather than Jesus. Now, social media is not from the devil, most of the time. But actually, there is truth in the fact that we need to understand that when something has hold of our hearts, we need to defer to Jesus and let that thing go. We've got to let go of the soup. And the challenge is for most of us, we don't know what our soup is. We don't know what our soup is. We're not allowing the Holy Spirit to reveal it to us. Do you know how to recognize it? Are you equipped to fight it? Are you equipped to fight it? Do you have scriptures in your heart that speak against what the enemy tries to come and bring in front of you? Whatever it might be, whether it is um, greed, whether it is lust, whatever it might be, do you have scriptures that fight that thing? Because we learn from Jesus, that's how you fight the temptation. That's how you don't settle. Believe the Word of God. All of a sudden, the life of God will start to pour. Number one, don't settle for soup. Number two, don't settle for second best. Don't settle for second best. We live in a world that is obsessed with second best. Hebrews 6, it says, through faith and patience, we inherit the promises of God. Through faith, believe in God. I know this is a very simple word, but I believe it's very powerful. Through faith, believe in God and patience. That's hard for me. It's hard for me. I'm okay with the faith bit. I'm like, yes, God, I believe you. Wah, perfect life. That's what I want. That's what all of us want. We want to believe, and then all of a sudden we get it. But our faith is only tested when we have to wait. Our faith is only tested when we have to wait. And the challenge is because we don't want to wait, we take the soup instead of the promises of God. If we as a community, as a, a community in Cape Town, life changes church, if we could start to understand the power of choosing the purposes of God rather than the second best that the world offers us, we'll change the world. We will change the world. You see, what I love about that scripture is Jacob the deceiver offered him immediate pleasure, and Esau had a, a, a future that was linked to the redemption of the world. From the line of Abraham came Jesus. Esau was directly linked to the redemption of the world. That was the, the future that God had placed in front of him. That was the purpose that was linked to his life, and in a moment he chose second best. What areas in your life are you choosing second best? Are you going, I'm just, I'll just live this life. You know, debt is my lot in life. No, trust God. He'll set you free from it. 
Believe His Word. He will set you free from it. I believe that the community of God can be a debt-free community. I believe it. Why? Not because it, it makes sense in our country. In our country, debt at the moment is what most people are living on. But actually, we serve a God who is more powerful than that. Why? I believe that God came to give us life and life abundantly. Second best always leads to brokenness and disappointment. I don't know about you, but I love that little line right in verse 34. It says, and Esau despised his birthright. You see, every time we choose second best, we start to despise the future that God has for us because of disappointment. We get disappointed. We get sad. We get filled with guilt. And instead of asking God to renew our faith, renew the life in us, we start to hate our birthright. There's an amazing example of this much later in the Bible of a a man named Judas. And many of you may have heard of Judas, Judas Iscariot. He was the man who betrayed Jesus to the cross. And he took a few, and for, for uh, the sake of understanding, he took a few rands and traded Jesus' life. The Pharisees gave him some money and they told him where, he told them where Jesus was. And you see, you know what's so beautiful about it is actually we read about the 12 apostles, but there should have been 13. Judas had a call of apostleship on his life. He, he, had the, he would have been part of, actually Judas was so trusted by God, uh, by Jesus, that he was the man who managed the money. He was trusted by Jesus. You see, Jesus is not scared of our inadequacies. He simply wants us to submit them to him so he can transform us. And this man named Judas, who was called to be an apostle, we should read about him in the book of Acts as one of the men who pioneered the church chose soup in a moment and lost that future. And it led to disappointment, it led to, it led to hatred, it led to guilt, and it led to suicide because he felt so much guilt about choosing second best. And you see, I believe we do this all the time. We choose second best, but I believe that if we will submit ourselves to Jesus, He will rid us of guilt, He will rid us of shame, and He will restore in our hearts the birthright that He's created for us. He will restore in our hearts the birthright He's created for us. Why? Because He is a good, good God. You see, we fail, but He doesn't. We mess up, but He doesn't. And when we come to Him and we say, Jesus, I need you in this area. I don't want to choose soup anymore. I don't want to defer to second best anymore. All of a sudden, the transformation of heaven starts to come. In Isaiah 55, it says this, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than yours, and my thoughts higher than yours. You see, when we understand that God is bigger than us, His purposes are bigger than us, His plans are more glorious than we could ever imagine, it becomes easy to say yes to God. It becomes easy to say yes to Jesus. Why? Because we understand that He has the best for us. See, when young people choose to, um, to, to walk a road of purity and, and only step into those things in marriage, they are choosing God's best. Why? Now, I'm not, I realize every person has a different journey in this area, and God can bring healing and purity and life to any heart. But when a young man who loves Jesus chooses a road of purity, he's choosing the best that God can have for him. He's choosing a road of the life of God where his marriage will thrive. You know what's so beautiful is the grace of God is bigger than any mistake. 
But when we choose God's best, we see the life of God flow in that area. And actually, I believe that we are given that opportunity every day. We can choose God's best every day. The Bible says His mercies are new every morning. Every morning. No matter what happened yesterday. Every single morning. When we understand that our God is bigger than us, we don't settle for the second the world offers us. We, we, we fight for that thing. And my last thought for this evening, don't settle for safe. You see, we can settle for the soup, the momentary pleasure. We can settle for second best so quickly, the thing that is right in front of us that, that seems like the right thing. But actually, sometimes we just settle for safe. In Psalm 16, it says, Lord, you alone are my portion and my cup. You make my lot secure. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. I will praise the Lord who counsels me. Even at night, my heart instructs me. You see, there's this beautiful picture in that text of actually God has designed boundary lines for you. You know, the Word of God says that it is by God's decision that every man should live where he lives. You're not here by accident. We prayed in the huddle before the meeting. We prayed this simple prayer. Actually, God, you have chosen every person in this room to be in this room tonight. God has created boundary lines for you. He's created purposes for you. He's created plans for you. But I think we have two responses to the boundary lines of God. And I think we do this all the time. And I just drew a very simple diagram to help us understand but just imagine, it was, next slide, there we go. Just imagine those are God's boundary lines. They are wide, they are spacious, there's room inside them. He's made them bigger than we could ever imagine. Salvation literally means a spacious place. So He gives us these boundary lines, and I believe so often we do one of two things. Number one, we create our own boundary lines. Can we have the next slide? Separated from God, outside of His plans, outside of His purposes, we create our own boundary lines. And this looks like sin. It looks like momentary satisfaction. It looks like, it looks like what Adam and Eve did in the garden where they said, God, I know you say you've got this, but I can do this on my own. I don't know about you, but I've done that countless times. I know you've got this, but I can do this on my own. That's our first response. And the other response, if we can have the next slide, is we make it small. Out of fear, and I think fear is something that inhibits the church so often. We are so fearful, we are so scared that things may go wrong or we may get hurt that we start to make our own world smaller and smaller and smaller. We believe in Jesus. We love Jesus. We live lives that honor Jesus, but we forget that He is the Savior of the world and He's calling us to more. You see, the guys who decided to plant a church in the city, and, and it's not the only way to step out in faith by no means, but it's a beautiful illustration of how those guys have chosen to step out of their comfort zone because they believe God for something bigger. They've chosen to live in the wide open spaces of God. You see, Tableview is a really, really easy church to serve in. You arrive, all the lights are on, the chairs are out, everything's ready. But actually, those guys have chosen every week to arrive there at two in the afternoon, set up, get things ready, practice, ba do band, get projectors up, everything that in this space we take so easily for granted, they have chosen to sacrifice time before and time after so that they can see the kingdom of God move. Yes, they'll get tired. 
Yes, it'll get difficult. And you know what's phenomenal? Is some of the people who have chosen to pioneer that church are the same people who pioneered Milnerton four years ago. Why? Because there's a desire in their heart not to buckle to fear, but believe God for more. You know what happens so quickly in church? We get hurt by people. People do something terrible to us, or they hurt us, or they lie to us, or they say something they shouldn't say. And so what we do is we go, I'll never let that happen again. And we bunker down. We make our boundary lines small. And God's saying to you, no, I want you to forgive that person and keep living in a spacious place. Keep trusting. Keep believing. Keep believing the best of people. Keep forgiving people, and you'll see the life of God breaking into your story. But what do we do? We bunker down. I once had a conversation with a lady in this church, and I by no means will say her name. She's done years and years and years of ministry. And she made this statement, and I remember the statement haunted me. She says, I've been hurt too many times. I don't trust anyone. I just remember that statement gripped me because I was going, God, I never want to get there. You see, because the Bible promises us hardship. It promises us that things will be difficult. But if I believe that God has got abundant life for me, then I can believe that He will restore relationships, He will refresh my soul, and He will bring His life and opportunity into my heart, which means that I can trust over and over and over again. I've been part of Life Changes Church for 12 years, 12 years, and I want to tell you, people have hurt me, people have upset me, people have frustrated me, people have done things they shouldn't have done, I've done things I shouldn't have done, but the beautiful thing about the gospel and believing that God has got spacious places is I go, okay, God, help me forgive and help me keep living in a spacious place. We take a step of faith and it doesn't work out and all of a sudden you go, I'll never do that again. No, trust God because actually your identity is not in the step of faith. Your identity is in Jesus. And so no matter how I fail, I'm still a son of God, which means I can keep doing it and I can keep doing it and I can keep doing it. Why? Because I serve a God who is bigger than my situation, my circumstances, and His Word says that He wants to give me life and life abundantly. Can I call the band up? I really believe that God wants to shift something in our hearts with this series. I really believe it. And so can I ask us, we, can we stand as a community? We're going to sing one song to end this evening. We're going to sing together and then we will... Then we're going to break our fast together. We've got some food at the back. But I really believe Jesus wants to call us out of settling. And you see, settling can be settling for soup, settling for the things that make you happy now rather than the things that God has got for you in the future. Settling can be very simply just being okay with second best. You know what, God, I know you've got a future for me, but actually I'm okay where I am. And actually settling can be making our boundary lines small. And when God has got radical adventures for us, got unbelievable adventures for us. And I believe tonight Jesus wants us to live in that space. In Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, Jesus is speaking and He says this amazing thing. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy 
and my burden is light. You see, when Jesus says he will give you rest, he's not talking about the rest that comes from a good sleep. He's not talking about the rest that comes from a good holiday. He's not talking about the rest that makes you feel a little bit better after a tough week at work. He's talking about rest that lives in us eternally. He's talking about a rest that takes us out of anxiety and fear and brokenness and hurt and brings us into a safe place. Brings us into a spacious place. I don't know about you, but when you think about, when I think sometimes about stepping out in faith or doing something big, fear quickly grips my heart. And I have to remind myself, okay, Jesus, you said if I come to you, you will give me rest. You said your burden is light. Your burden is light. How many of us are living under burdens that are heavy? Burdens that are weighing us down, that are preventing us from walking into the future that God has for us. I want to say to you this evening that Jesus has got a light burden for you. And I love this moment. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. You see, we need to live in face-to-face proximity with Jesus. If you want to live in the rest of God, if you want to live in the spacious place, if you want to live in the perfect will of God, you need to have a face-to-face relationship with Jesus. Because when you look into His eyes, the transformation of heaven comes. And so what we're going to do, I'm going to pray for us now, and I can't give you that rest. The best preacher, the best church, the best moment of your life can't give you that rest. You could win the lotto tomorrow, that rest wouldn't come. Why? Because there's a hole in our hearts and it's shaped like Jesus. There's a hole inside of us and it is shaped like Jesus. He's the only one that can perfectly satisfy. He's the only one that can bring life to the full. He's the only one that can fill every void and every space and every hurt and every brokenness. He's the only one. And so, Father, we come to you tonight. We say, King Jesus, we know we can't do this on our own. We know we can't accomplish this on our own, Father. But we believe, Jesus, that you can. We believe your word when it says that you came to give life and life abundantly. You came to bring life and life to the full. You came to satisfy us completely, Jesus, because we were created in your image. We were created for your purposes. We were created for your pleasure. So Jesus, tonight we come to you and we say, Lord, give us your rest. Teach us not to settle for second best. Teach us not to settle for safe. Teach us not to settle for the soup of this world, God. We come to you. We ask for your yoke. We ask for your rest. We ask for you, Jesus.